Hey, it's awesome to be back with you all. Thank you. Uh, it's always great that you have a singing pastor during technical difficulties. I would have just been like, let us pray. Pastor Maddie, how long do I need to pray for? Until we get this thing going. Uh, no, it's awesome to, to be back here with you all and, and uh, speaking on discernment and dating in this kind of dating phase of relationships. So diving into some of this and um, the message that, that God put on my heart, I think is really going to speak to even those of you that are, you know, well, long married and, and everywhere in between. And so starting before we get into the, the discernment and dating kind of topic, it's also speaking to the state of singleness. For those that are in that, that dating season, uh, probably, perhaps yet to be dating, is that there's a season of singleness. And I know that one of the, the messages that you often get, having worked with singles and daters long enough, you get a lot of the messages around singleness is a gift. And you just get people that are like, yeah, got it. It's like the gift, though, that like everybody just, it's like that white elephant gift exchange where you get that one gift and you're just trying to dress it up. Like, who wants this? But look at it. Look at this. Who doesn't want this? Anybody wants to take this off my hands? No. Um, and then sometimes you get people that, you know, hear singleness is again. They're just like ready to go. They're like, go ahead. Tell me singleness is a gift one more time. They're like taking off a necklace. Can you hold this? It's about to go down. And so it, it's realizing that uh, obviously there's seasons of singleness that people are really enjoying and thriving in and growing in need, and then others that are maybe going into OT, double OT, and they're, they're struggling to maintain the right perspective. And that's so much of it, and that's what this discernment is all about, is discernment is having the right perspective on things. And so, I, you know, I got a question one time when I was doing an event in L.A. for, for some singles talking about dating and relationships. And in the Q&A, this, this one gentleman raised his hand, and he said, you know, what would you say to someone that is still single at a point in their life where they thought for sure they, they'd be married? And they are just, they're disappointed in life, and they're disappointed with God. And I was just like, wow, you know, that's a hard, hard question. And so I really thought about it, and, you know, really, the only thing that came to mind was that you've got to get a bigger vision. You've got to get a bigger vision for life. You've got to get a bigger vision for God's calling in your life, for what God wants to do in you and through you and for you. And you've got to be able to see this thing from the biggest perspective of zooming out to see things from the realities of heaven and, and from the vantage point of Christ and that our biggest calling on our life is not to be married, but it's the Great Commission. Yeah. It's to go out and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey the commands that I have given you, giving people hope and giving people eternal life. That's our greatest calling. And it's really, there's something that uh, has really brought this home for me is that the last, over the last month, I've been going out with a friend on Fridays in Azusa, and, and we've just been kind of ministering to people and and we take some sandwiches and some water bottles and, and just kind of approach people for, for prayer and sharing the love of Christ. And man, some of the prayer requests on people's hearts and the things going on in people's lives will give you a totally different perspective and vision 
as we were, you know, one night, we were just on, on this Friday, we were praying, and we just approached this one woman as she's walking by to go to the metro and asked her if she needed prayer. And immediately she just began bawling and put out her hands to grab our hands. And she said, yeah, I need prayer for my daughter. And she's just weeping, this brokenhearted mother for her lost daughter that was just out on the streets addicted to drugs. And she was just brokenhearted. And a couple weeks before, we had a similar situation where we were praying for somebody. And this woman was driving by. She saw us praying, so she parked. She got out and waited and then came over and asked us for prayer. In a similar situation, but it was a son, a lost son. Come to find out that on Fridays, she, when she gets done with work, she'll go to different metro stations and just look for her son. Like, if that won't break your heart, like, it's just, there's just, you, that's, you know, it, doing this just gives you a totally different perspective. On Friday, we had the great honor of leading this young man to Christ who had literally just walked out of jail a minute before we, we, we crossed paths with him. And so it's just like, it's those types of things that give you this bigger vision. And so I just want to start this talk by saying, you've got to be able to zoom out. And you've got to be able to see the big picture of life and God's calling on your life and the opportunities that are at hand. Anyway, that's the whole reason that Paul says that singleness is a gift, so that you can be more devoted to God and his will and his ways with as few restrictions as possible, is what he says in 1 Corinthians 7. So that's the, the big starting point for this. But I also want to have us jump to 2 Kings chapter 6. This is 2 Kings chapter 6, 8 through 23. And what we're going to read here, again, is setting the stage for perspective and discernment. So 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 23, and I'll read this for us. But this is Elijah the prophet, and he is you know, this man of God. And he's going out and doing the will of the Lord, and he's leading people, but he's also encountering pushback. And it drastically requires him seeing things from the realities of heaven. And so this is Elijah. In chapter 8, it says, When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, We will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately, Elijah, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, Do not go near that place. For the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elijah warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. Then the king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together, demanded, Which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord, the king, one of the officers replied. Elijah, the prophet of Israel, tells the king of Israel, every, even the words that you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back. Elijah is at, uh, is at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man, the servant of Elijah, got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elijah. Don't be afraid, Elijah told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elijah prayed, 
O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elijah was filled with horses and chariots of fire. And I want to pause right there because there's something fascinating about this is that the servant, the young servant, wasn't blind. He could see. He obviously saw all of the, the army and all of the, uh, all of the enemy. He saw the circumstances. He could see, but yet he was still blind. He was blind to the realities of heaven. And so when Elijah says, open his eyes and let him see, let him see the realities of heaven. Let him see things from your perspective, God. And this is what's so crazy is that <clears throat> there's this, this part of it that uh, we need our eyes open spiritually when it comes to singleness, dating, relationships, marriage. We've got to have our eyes open spiritually, which is where so many people get in trouble. Because uh, in this commentary, it said that Elijah was perfectly calm and his servant was a mess simply because of what they could and couldn't see. So our sense of peace is dependent upon what we can see spiritually. And so our sense of peace is connected with our level of discernment. And that discernment brings you wise discernment, accurate discernment. It brings you peace to your situation. Because he goes on to say that as the army advanced toward him, Elijah prayed, Oh Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck, him with, struck them with blindness as Elijah had asked. Then Elijah went out and told them, you have come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me and I will take you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elijah prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened, the eyes, opened their eyes and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elijah, my father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? Of course not, Elijah replied. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. So the king made a great feast for them and sent them home to their master. And after that, the raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. And again, I, th I think that it's not striking them with physical blindness where none of them can see. That would be absolute chaos. Can you imagine Elijah trying to lead like thousands of literal blind people out of a city? Like single file, everybody grab a hand. Be sure not to grab a sword. We don't have time for stitches. It's just like, there'd be pandemonium. So what it was, is perception blindness. It was able to see, but at the same time, miss the realities of what's actually going on. So that's what we got to be able to catch here. Because this is the common theme. And this is why Colossians 1, or chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, says, Since we have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. It's our, our vision is so important. Because even in, in Matthew 16, 23, when Jesus shares about his coming crucifixion and killing, Peter you know, says, says, no, Lord, and tries to rebuke and interject. And this is where Jesus says, he turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, for you are a dangerous trap to me. 
Why is, he a, why is he a dangerous trap? What is Satan's dangerous trap? Because you're merely seeing things from a human point of view, not from God's. So discernment is all about this ability to be able to see things from God's point of view and not merely from a human point of view, which is so rampant amongst singleness and dating and relationships. Is seeing it merely from a human point of view. That's why this, this pastor, Dan Moeller, he says, you need to engage in relationships out of the fullness of your life, not out of the emptiness. Is that the reality is probably over 90% of people on dating apps are there out of the emptiness in their life, not out of the fullness. And they're seeing things from the wrong perspective. And so Satan's dangerous trap is designed for us to forfeit our peace and, I read this in commentary, our well-being. And I changed it for these purposes to our will-being. So many people want to be in the will of God, and the only way to be in the will of God is to be able to see and perceive and discern his will and then step into it. But if you've got your eyes fixated merely on the circumstances from a human point of view, you're going to miss all of that. So discernment, I want to give you kind of a very straightforward definition, and we're going to get into a few characteristics of it. But to start forward, start with just a very simple, straightforward definition that, uh, of discernment is to observe accurately according to heaven and earth. To observe accurately according to heaven and earth. So in order to say you have good discernment or we say, wow, they have great discernment, they better be doing it accurately. <laughs> like nobody's, nobody's like batting, you know, they're like one for ten on prophecies. Wow, their discernment is amazing. Give me a word, would you please? It's like just one failure after. It's like it's got to be accurate, and it's got to be according to heaven and earth. And so what discernment, people with discernment, is that they're able to see what is evident, what is not evident to the average person, the average mind. And so in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, it says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and discernment. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. So what's the point of discernment here? The point of discernment is so you would understand what really matters. And you understand what really matters, you have to see it from God's point of view. Otherwise, you're going to miss it completely. In Proverbs 3, 21 through 24, it says, My child, don't lose sight of sound wisdom and discernment. Hang on to them, for they will refresh your soul. They're like jewels on a necklace. They keep you safe on your way, and your feet will not stumble. You can go to bed without fear. You will lie down and sleep soundly. But it says, hang on to them. So discernment is something that can easily slip away from us because of the pressures of the world, the stressors, and all of these different obstructions that are coming. We can lose discernment, and we can slip from seeing things from God's point of view, seeing people from God's point of view, seeing circumstances from God's point of view, and see them merely from a human point of view, and we can lose our, our, our hold on discernment. And one example of this, I was watching uh, this TED Talk with this magician, and he was kind of explaining magic while he was doing it, and he referenced a study that was, it's a psychology term for inattentional blindness. And there's a study where they did an experiment, and they recorded these two teams, a team wearing white jerseys, one wearing black jerseys, playing basketball, and they gave the, the, the participants the task of, we want you to count the number of passes that are made in this video clip between this team. 
And so they would focus, one, two, and they're just counting, dialed in on these passes. What they didn't know was that halfway through the video, there was a man that was dressed in a gorilla costume, would walk into the scene, bait his chest, and then walk out. And so at the end of the video, they would ask him, you know, how many passes did you see? You know, whatever it was, 27, 43, whatever. They, they knew the exact number of passes. And then they would ask him, but did you see the gorilla? And over 50% of the people didn't even see this man dressed in a gorilla costume come into the middle, beat his chest, and then walk out. Like, and it wasn't like deep in the background amongst, you know, a busy background. It was like literally it was impossible to miss once you actually were told and would go back. But what they pointed out here was that this was an inattentional blindness, is a blind spot, not of vision, but of perception and awareness. And so you can be looking right at something and miss it completely. You can be looking at your singleness and miss the, the point of it completely. You could be looking at your dating relationship and miss the realities of heaven with it all you know, completely. You could be in a marriage right now looking at your struggles and your, your different things going on and miss the whole point of it completely is that we've got to be so careful because that's Satan's dangerous trap. And this magician, what he said was, at the end of this, he says, the magician's job is to make you confuse what is important with what is extraneous. He says, the, the magician's job is to make you filter out the wrong things. That's Satan's dangerous trap, is to get you to confuse what is important with what is extraneous. And we start focusing overly on the extraneous and completely missing the, those that are important. So we've got to be able to catch this first and foremost before we dive into this discernment. So here it is. I'm going to break down discernment for you a little bit more, and we're going to talk about this in the context of what specifically you can look for in your dating relationships that will help you to be able to navigate this properly and in a God-honoring way. And so first, I want to kind of break down discernment a bit more of what are some of the, the four qualities that God kind of put on my heart that make up discernment. And the first is perception. So perception is our ability to see, hear, or become aware through one's senses. So part of discernment is just perception, is what you see, is that even in this room, there are certain things that you're noticing and certain things that you are not noticing. And so you could have come and spend time in here and, and kind of miss something completely that you didn't even notice before because you haven't just zeroed in on it. So perception is key. And the warning here especially when dating and relationships, is that you will, you will find what you're looking for. So sometimes we go in with all these preconceived notions, again, oftentimes extraneous things, looking for those and completely missing what's important. So perception is key and being locked in with the qualities of God that he wants us to see. Number two is understanding. Once we have perceived something, we need to be able to understand it and make sense of it. So understanding is simply sense-making is that I'm, I'm observing, I'm taking, I'm perceiving this relationship, even out on a date, is that you're perceiving the, the, the circumstances, the person, the interaction, the quality of the, the interaction and the conversation, what's being said and done, but you need to make sense of it. And so that's the understanding part, the wisdom. Number three is prediction, is that when I talk about discernment in dating, to, to, for somebody to be capable and have high quality discernment in dating is that they're able to accurately predict the future outcome with this person. So there's a prediction quality is that I perceive, I make sense, I understand, and now I'm making a prediction of what life is going to be like with this person. 
right? And that's why it's so important because we're towards the end, we're going to talk about the enemies of discernment. Actually, let's just get into it right now. Some of the, so some of the, the aspects of perceiving that will inhibit your ability to perceive properly, that will inhibit your ability to understand, and will crush your ability to make a proper prediction of where this relationship is going to be and what it's going to look like, are things like emptiness and neediness and insecurities, lack of your own self-value, worth, and dignity, infatuation coupled with physical intimacy, uh, drugs or alcohol, the patterns of the world, the expectations of others. All those things will inhibit your ability to properly discern within a dating relationship. And so we've got to be careful. That's where you've got to get in the fullness of life. You've got to recognize your value, worth, and dignity is anchored in Christ as a son or a daughter of the living God and of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's got to be your anchoring for your value, worth, and dignity. That's got to be the, the ultimate place of healing for insecurities and for self-doubts and for neediness and emptiness is to get filled up by God so that you, be, you become full in that way to where you're not just willing to get into any old relationship just to be in a relationship. I'm tired of being single. I just want to be in a relationship. Well, I'll tell you right now that for every person, for every single person desiring to be married, there is currently a married person desiring to be single. So that doesn't just fix anything and fix everything. It is that you've got to be able to get full on your own so that you, if you can get to that place of fullness and contentment as a single, wow, that sets you up to be powerful in your discernment because you're not just needing a relationship and needing a person. And Dan Muller that I said, you know, earlier, he, he talks about, when he talks about marriage, he says, you know, I didn't wake up to need my wife, I woke up to love her. But that's got to be the starting place within your singleness, too. So those are some of the enemies to discernment. And inhibiting perception, understanding, prediction, and then the fourth quality of discernment is, a, is decision. You've got to be willing to commit or act upon your discernment. So I think these four qualities are just true for discernment in general, but it also highlights some of the aspects that we, that we put into practice for dating and relationships as well. And so this is where in Hebrews 5.14, it says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What I want you to take away from here is, is trained. There's a power of discernment that's trained by constant practice. So when it comes to discernment, you don't have to wait until you're in a dating relationship to practice discernment. You can be practicing discernment right now as a, as a single person. You can be practicing discernment with friends. You can be practicing discernment with the other people in your life group. Is you want to be practicing and honing it because it's a skill that can be nurtured and developed and grown over time. And that's so critical so that when you are in a relationship and infatuation is pressing in, and maybe the temptation of physical intimacy is bearing down, you have your wits about you because you've been practicing this discernment so you can be more careful. We were kind of talking about before this about this idea of discernment. Oftentimes, people think they're so much better about discernment than they actually are. And they just think that, oh, my God, I, yeah, I, could, you know, I could tell a cheater coming a mile away or I can, you know, whatever. All these different things. And we think we're so gifted. And then we get into relationships, infatuation, physical intimacy, absolutely blinds them. 
and they end up getting duped for the very same things. If you, you know, ever want to see the realities of our lack of discernment often, is that there are serial murders that people were like co-workers with for like 15 years. And they're like, you kidding me? Ted killed how many people? Oh man, what an employee he was though. I would have never, never guessed. Not in a million years he would have done that. It's like, wow, you worked next to that brother for how long? And you were clueless. You're still rooting for him till the day he went to prison. It's just like our discernment isn't as, isn't as good as we think it is. And so this is a big part of it, of practicing it. And this discernment in dating, there's a great quote from Charles Spurgeon who said that discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong necessarily. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. So in dating relationships, again, I'm trying to highlight for you, this is not an easy thing that we're talking about with discernment in relationships. You're not just distinguishing between right and wrong where somebody's just coming out. I mean, there's some definite creepers and weirdos out there. You can spot them the second they walked into that coffee shop. You're like, oh, no, this is going bad. Um, You got like that friend on speed tax or they're sitting in the corner, actually. You just give them the whole wink. And they come in and rescue you. You can tell, but there's a lot of people that it's just a subtle difference between right and almost right that you've got to be able to catch because almost right is still evil. And so those are the things that we can oftentimes miss out on. I mean, just think about when you know Christ says, you know, many of you will call out to me, Lord, Lord. You know, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We healed in your name. And he'll say, get away from me, for I never knew you. Classic example of the difference between right and almost right. And almost right didn't do it. So that's what we're trying to discern between here. So here are some characteristics and qualities of what you can be looking for because we're trying to figure out what are, the, what are the priorities. We want to make sure that what is important is not exchanged for what's extraneous and, 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 and flip-flopped. So here's where we're looking for discernment is that coming down to the level of decision-making, but are you willing to commit should you find someone who, number one, values and understands the covenant of marriage? So one of the things you want to be discerning in your dating relationship is does this person value and understand the covenant of marriage? That's huge. Because that will determine the, the future, the prediction of the future outlook with this individual will largely be dependent upon their understanding, value, and appreciation for the covenant of marriage. And the other thing that that does is that when somebody values and understands the covenant of marriage, it produces a balanced timeline for dating to marriage. When people don't value and understand the covenant of, of, of marriage, what ends up happening is, one, if they don't value and understand it at all, they're in no rush. They will date you until Jesus returns. It's just like... They will date you until Jesus returns. Like, they are in no rush. They have no motivation. And again, oftentimes, we're moving into physical intimacy, and they're getting their emotional and their physical needs met anyway. And so they're in no rush, and it will go on and on and on. The other thing is if people don't properly value and and understand the covenant of marriage, they will rush into it too quick. So you got the two extremes, those that are in no rush whatsoever and those that are overly rushed to get into it. And it's like, you just met them, 
you've been dating for two months, you know, you started that relationship with no prior history, and in three months, you know, you're, you're trying to get married. It's like, whoa, whoa, we got to slow down here a bit. Like, this is a big deal, what we're working towards. And so we've got to be able to properly approach it on the, on the adequate timeline. That's what that first one does. And number two is this, that are you willing to commit, should this person meet your short list of must-haves and can't-stands? So you should have a list of must-haves and can't-stands. And again, invite a spiritual mentor into this process to help you think through your list. Because a lot of times you're looking at somebody's list and you're like, what, I mean, why are all these measurements on here? Are you ordering a pair of pants or like looking for a date? Like what is going on here? You know, there, you know it's just, so it's, it's getting things, again, that's Satan's dangerous trap. He's getting you to th- see things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And so you want to have the right characteristics and traits. And Logan Yuri, a social scientist, she said this, that you should be less picky about the things that don't matter when it comes to a long-term marriage and be more picky about the things that do. So you've, you've got to be able to settle on the characteristics, qualities, and traits. You know, five to ten must-haves, five to ten can't-stands, and be able to use that as, as a guiding form of evaluation as to what kind of person am I getting what kind of a relationship and marriage am I signing up for here? Is this going to lead to a low-maintenance, easy relationship that thrives and, and is God-honoring? Or is this going to lead to a high-maintenance, conflict-ridden relationship that I'm overlooking? You know, less and less the parents say, opposites attract and then opposites attack. And, and so there's so much that people are kind of missing, which goes into the next one, which is number three, is that This person should have a compatible nature to you. They should have a compatible nature. And part of this is that, uh, you know, this Dr. Robert Sternberg says that the divorce rate is so high because people are drawn together for reasons that matter less and less as time goes on. So you want to be attracted for the right reasons. And here's what compatible nature actually is made up of. And here's some shortcut cues for you is that you should be share, have shared values. This is to be equally yoked, be on the same page spiritually, biblically, and with the, the primary values for life is that that's what you should be discerning for and asking questions about and looking for in their life is do I see these values? Do I hear the values and do I see the values? And then also shared life goals. Are your lives heading in the same direction? Because you could end up with somebody while you're trying to build the kingdom of God, they're just trying to build their own kingdom. When you're trying to do the will of God, they're just trying to carry out their own personal will within their life. So if your life goals aren't aligned, you're going to be trying to go in two totally different directions, and that's going to cause a lot of heartbreak and loss for the kingdom. Number three is complementary personalities. So you're not looking for a clone of you. But you also don't want an extreme opposite either. You want complementary personalities. Is that my wife has a certain skill set and personality that, uh, that, that I don't have. And, and I bring things to the table that, that she doesn't bring to the table. And this also goes with, number, uh, with, a, with a fourth one, which is that having a shared understanding of the differences. Is that you've got to have a shared understanding, or put it this way, to have an appreciation for the differences that the other person brings. Because a lot of times people just end up uh, antagonistic or frustrated by the differences rather than appreciating the differences. And then the last one is, is complementary interests. Is that, so you, again, you don't have to have all the same hobbies and do all the same things and, and go everywhere and do everything together. 
is that there is plenty of room for you to be able to pursue your own individual interests and needs and, uh, and desires, and, and you, can, you can do that sometimes together, and there will be sacrifices and you know, going and doing something with your, your, your spouse because that's what they love to do, and you love them, and so you're along for the ride, but there's also just giving them the time and space to be able to do that and pursue that. Is that my wife sings you know, worship, and, and I do not. <laughs> like, I'm not just going to tag along. And try to do some backup harmonies or whatever. I don't even know what that means. I just, I've just heard it. I've heard people say things like backup and harmony. I'm just saying it. I don't even know what that actually includes. Um, and so there's just certain things we're not going to do together. And that's fine. And that's actually good and healthy in a lot of ways too. So those are some of the things for the compatible nature. And then the, the fourth and final one that I put on here is that you are sufficiently attracted to this person. And the key word is sufficiently attracted, sufficiently attracted, is that they don't have to be the hottest person you've ever seen. And sometimes people are holding out for unrealistic physical expectations or whatever it may be. Uh, but, you, but the reality is, and I think it's okay to say that, you do want to have some attraction to them. Is it okay to be attracted to what attraction? But you also have to think about moderation. And am I sufficiently attracted to this person? Because guess what? Sometimes if you start out and you might be thinking a level of attraction, you know, Maybe you find this person to be a, a 5 out of 10. But then you start seeing and hearing about their values. You start seeing and hearing about their life goals. You start seeing the way that their personality meshes with yours. And now all of a sudden they go from a 5 to a 7 in attraction. So it's giving people a chance too. And the reason of, of that sufficiently attracted is, is, is to give some people a chance because you might just find that their godly character and the way that their heart follows the Lord makes them extraordinarily attractive. And the way that they carry themselves and operate themselves and the way that they interact and love and cherish people now all of a sudden makes them really attractive. Because the reality is, is that there is there, there's a married couple out there, they're both tens, 10 out of 10. And they don't have sex because they hate each other. It's like, it's like it doesn't matter at that point. When somebody is contemptuous, when somebody is, is, is annoyed and frustrated and they're butting heads and they're in gridlock conflict and they don't want to even think about physical intimacy with this person because they can't even stand them even though they're completely gorgeous. So that's the reality of we, we've got to be able to walk in moderation, see things not just merely from a human point of view, but from God's point of view. And this is what brings discernment into our lives. And so this is the, the very last thing. And how long? What, what? Okay. All right. So <laughs> Your timing is sufficient. All right, the last thing that I want to talk about then is discerning for the difference between a project, a patterned potential, and a pillar. And so what this came from was that in doing our dating course, we were, when we were doing it on Zoom, we would kind of take a break in the middle and we'd do these Holy Spirit nights where we'd kind of have these different breaks. Actually, Pastor Dennis was a part of that. He did the prophetic worship room and we had a room on, on Zoom for prophetic words, for physical healing, sexual healing, and and baptism of the Holy Spirit, and, and in one of these rooms, I was, you know, just kind of praying and, and seeking words for people, and felt like God put it on my heart to share with this one young woman that, um, 
that God wanted, God loves her and sees her, and that he wants her to, to, that she needs to hold out for a pillar of the faith rather than a project in the faith. And when I shared that with her, she just started crying. And I found out later from the friend that had invited her that she had actually recently broken up with her boyfriend, and she broke up with him on her birthday of all days. And, and the reason that she gave for breaking up with him was because she felt like he was a project in the faith. And so this is the, the difference, is that the, the projects, the, the pillars, and then there's kind of a middle category of the pattern potential. And let me explain that a bit more. So the projects you kind of get. They're non-Christians. You would be unequally yoked. There would be a lot of struggles, and, and you wouldn't have the shared values. You wouldn't have the shared life goals. And there's a lot of issues there that are caught major cautions and warnings to just move on uh, and pray for them and, and bless and release on those. And then there's the pillars that are walking in the fullness of faith. And they're, they're dialed into their faith. And you can see it. You can hear it. You can, you can tell the anointing that's upon them. And then there's a middle category of the pattern potential. You know, which is what I was, you know, for me personally, was that, you know, I grew up uh, lukewarm Catholic, you know, really, even though I went to Catholic grade school through eighth grade, was in mass every single Sunday, uh, even through college at the age of 23, I knew shockingly little about the entire thing. <laughs> like, it's, it's, ama- it's actually mind-blowing when I look back on it. I'm like, how is that even possible for me to know so little about the faith even after all of that, but I did it somehow. And then when I moved out to L.A., a friend kind of introduced me to a church, and, and, and then it really opened things up. Where I was, I, was, I, I had the, the, the seeing eyes that were blind for those years, and then started to come out of that. And what a pattern potential is, is that you're looking for this person's spiritual momentum. This is a person that is, they're pressing in to God. They are I'm making some headway, and they are moving in the right direction. You're hearing their growth. Because, and this is critically important for, I think, the women in particular, because one of the things we hear often, actually, in that Q&A, right before the question that I gave you from the gentleman earlier, the first question that was actually asked, was from a woman that says, you know, what would you say about the fact that uh, at any given church, women outnumber men 60-40, sometimes 70-30, and it, doesn't fe- and it just feels like there's not enough godly men to go around. And, and that, again, was another hard question. And this is, one, why we need more male discipleship and, and more outreach in that, that realm of things. But the other part is that you, a lot of times, women, you have to be, let me give you the visual. You have to be willing to date somebody that is spiritually either an arm's length ahead of you or an arm's length behind you. And that's kind of the visual is that you, you know, again, projects, you're moving on. And, and hey, if you find that pillar that's even ahead of you spiritually, praise and amen, like, yeah, moving forward. But there's also keeping an eye out and giving a chance to guys that might be an arm's length behind you, but they're working their way up. You're seeing the evidence and the potential. So the potential is evidence-based in their life. It's not just a hope and a wish for you because you think that they're, they're, they're cute or they've, you know, whatever. Is that you're, you're actually basing the potential part on evidence that you're seeing in their life. And I'm going to have them put up this, this chart and this graph. Uh, I just like to carry a graph with me at all times just in case it's ever going to be helpful. And here it is. But what this is, it's just the idea of showing you a trending line that, that's headed in the positive direction is that the pattern potential type out there 
that you're discerning for is, am I seeing fruit in their life as they're working their way up along their spiritual momentum? Where is that headed? Where is that going? And you'll notice on there, you know, sometimes there's some things that you see that are a little bit below the line, others that are a little bit above and a little bit right on. But you're noticing, that's what you should be noticing from the pattern potential guys and, and girls out there, is that there is spiritual momentum. It's trending upward. And it's based on evidence that you and your social support crew or your spiritual mentor can also see and verify. And that's what's going to give you more confidence with the type of person that you're dating and where this thing, because again, pre, the, the discernment is an accurate prediction of the future outlook with this person. And that's what you need, but you need a clear mind. You need to see it from the, the realities of heaven and through the things that we can observe in, in the natural, and combining those with the shared values, life goals, complementary personalities, shared understanding of differences, all these sorts of things that are highlighted and recognizing like, wow, life with this person, and this is the, one of the, the best, greatest questions I've ever heard asked in premarital counseling. It comes from Dr. Pritchard, and he said, how is the kingdom of God going to be better for the two of you being together? It's a question that very few Christian couples ever stop to ask. How is the kingdom of God? Yeah, that's great. You, you say you're in love. You want to get married. All these things. But how is the kingdom of God going to be better for the two of you being together? I get how you think your own individual lives will be better together. But how is the kingdom of God going to be better? And where is this thing headed? Where are the life goals? Where are the shared values? This is what's critically important in this process of discernment. So to go back to that ending point here on the discernment is that what we're really looking for is the ability to have perception, asking God, Lord, help me to see the unseen, help me to hear the unheard, and help me to have a heart to live out your word and date in a God-honoring way. Allow me to have understanding and wisdom, help me to make sense of what I'm seeing, hearing, and believing for. And number three, help me to make an honest and accurate prediction with a future outlook with this person. And then the last one is to make a decision. And the reason I started with those of, are you willing to commit should you find someone that meets these criteria, that values and understands the covenant of God, that meets your list of must-haves and can't-stands, that has a compatible nature to you and that you're sufficiently attracted to, are you willing to commit because a lot of people say that they are, but then when they find themselves in the relationship, they're always looking for, for the, the next best thing. And this is the damaging part of the dating apps, is that you can, you can swipe and swipe and swipe and swipe, and you can be dating somebody that is great and that would be a, a good life together with God, and yet you keep swiping because you're like, yeah, this person's great, but maybe I can find this person, but somebody that's a little bit better looking. This person, but somebody that's a little bit funnier. This person, that's somebody that's a little bit taller. This, and we start adding all these little butt things that are just the, the, the extraneous rather than the important. And that's Satan's dangerous trap in all of this. All right, so I'm trying to, just because I've seen and talked and heard from way too many people that have passed on some good relationships or been too eager and jumped into some really destructive relationships. And so much kingdom time has been lost. So much heartbreak has accrued. 
And so much singleness has been wasted with, with you know, pity parties. And, you know, and I'm not, ju- like, I was there in my singleness. Like, I loved a good pity party. Like, right? Like, that's the best place to do it is when you're single. It is because you don't even have, you know, now I've got, if I try to do a pity party, my wife is like, what are you doing? I'm like, stop. Uh, but, but it's just like when you're, it's just like, oh, this is prime time. Alone, let me put on that soft music, that sad song. Let me replay it. It didn't quite hit the level of sadness I was hoping to or the first time. <laughs> Maybe it'll get me the second time go around. Uh, and it was just, but you're, you're completely missing it. So that's my prayer, is that we would be able to see things from God's point of view. Allow him, just like Elijah, allow him to see things. Allow him to see what you see, God. Discern from heaven. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you and praise you for this time together this morning. Lord, that you would, you would just give people an extra dose, a double portion of discernment. You would inspire them with wisdom. You would give them a bigger vision for what this life is about and the things that you have in store and what you want to do in and through them for the kingdom of God to share the love of Christ that they have a mighty, great, grand calling on their life to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's where the fullness of life comes from. To love others as yourself. To be servants in this world to the people around us. To see God move in and through us, to touch people, to touch hearts, to transform lives through the power of God, through an obedient heart and a willing spirit that has caught the big vision of life, of the great commission to go out and to make disciples because there are people that are broken, hearted, lost, desperate, needy, and they need someone that's willing to set the things of this earth aside. They need someone that's willing to step out of the patterns of this life and step into the realities of heaven and bring them spiritual truths, give them a spiritual hunger, to give them truth of who they are and their identity in Christ. That's the greatest calling on our lives, whether it be single, dating, engaged, or married, that your will would be done in our lives, that your kingdom would come from heaven. So Lord, God, move in us. Speak to the hearts of those singles and daters here. That you see them, you hear their prayers, you know their thoughts, you know every desire and every longing that they have. You know frustrations of the overtime of singleness, the double overtime of singleness. And you just wanna love them and cherish them and let them know that you're here. You hear them with them they're not forgotten they have great and mighty calling and purpose all over their life Lord allow them to see it to feel it, to know it and to walk in it we praise you, we thank you and it's in Jesus mighty name we pray and all God's people said Amen. Amen. Amen